Father, we come before your throne, for you are Lord. You are Lord of heaven and you are Lord of earth. And Father, uh, it is all coming to the crescendo that you have designated. That Father, we who are called by your name, brothers and sisters, Father, children of the Most High God, we draw today to drink deep from you. Father, help us with your presence. Help us with your wisdom. Help us with the denying self. Bearing the cross. Father, may we who gather in the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, your instrument to reach lost, dying mankind. Father, may we bow before your word. Father, hold firm, steadfast to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to the power of your scripture and the souls of men, working of your spirit through these earthen vessels. To you and you alone, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What we have here in chapter 13 is God's description of love. 66 books of the Bible, you will not find love defined except for one statement. God is love. And yet, in the 66 books of the Bible, He shows you its description. What does it look like? How does it work? Um, Those of you who have been coming on Saturday nights, we've seen that beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and all the way through now we're just finished up Exodus 1. That you see God's love demonstrated. It is demonstrated. It is demonstrated to lost people, to people who actually serve pagan gods. God shows his love, his mercy, his grace into his faithful. And that's one of the things that you have to pay attention to. In this text, verses 3 through 7, these are verbs. Agapon, and then it has a verb. Love, agape, the highest form of love, the highest form that you and I could ever perceive as love, has an action to it. It's not defined. It is described. It looks like this. I have this quote from Linsky that I thought was kind of cool. The The really useful are the people who have given their strength to the weak, their substance to the poor, their sympathy to the suffering, in their hearts to God, unquote. That's pretty good. I like that. Well, that's what love does. I mean, if, if you think about it, love thy neighbor as thyself. That's an action. And it, well, what does that mean? How do you love yourself? I can tell you, without reserve. Right? 
So now all you have to do is love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. Well, now you're getting controversial. No, I'm getting biblical. All right? See, that's what love does. Love spends itself on others. Spends itself on others. And what we have here are basically what I call 15 facets of love. Some people want to call it qualities. Uh, You can call it whatever you want. The thing is, when you shine love into this prism, it comes out in all 15. You can't look at this list of 15 and say, well, I'm not arrogant, and I try not to be rude. Uh, Most of the time I'm not jealous. I'm not rejoicing. And, you know, I got like 10 out of 15. It ain't love. When love shines into this prism, you get all 15. When love does not shine into this prism, you don't get any of them. And I don't care how you manufacture it. So we'll review quickly. And the first one is that it's patient. It is long-suffering. It means every time that it is wrong, it forgives. Did you hear what I said? Every time it is wronged, it forgives. Not most of the time, not 9 out of 10. It always forgives. Why? Because love of God poured into my heart knows what I am guilty of and what part of that was I forgiven. What part of your sinful nature were you forgiven? All of it. So how can you have a higher standard than God? I don't even forgiven them. They hurt me twice. So love being long-suffering or love being patient means that it takes it. Over and over and over. Love is kind. The root word there is useful. Not only does it forgive, but when it is offended, it becomes useful to the person who offended it. It's useful. It's useful. Therefore, it's not jealous. Jealousy comes from inside. Okay, And jealousy is that thing. It comes on two tracks. One says, why does that person deserve that? And then the other track is, I don't want that person to deserve that. It becomes malicious. And you see it all the time. Well, why do they have that job? Or why do they have that spouse? Or why do they have this? Or why do they have that? It's all over the place. It's easy. It becomes jealous. Love does not brag. It's not a blowhard. It's not a windbag. It's a little Greek term. It's not a windbag. It doesn't go poof hot air everywhere. Love is not of itself. It is spending for the other person, so it will never bring attention to itself. Because the next one you see in the line is that it is not arrogant. Arrogance is what causes the windbag. You have that prideful heart, and it comes out of its mouth. And you just hear it. You ain't going to believe what I've done. And I hear it in, in, in the pulpits. I hear it in Christians who are bragging about what God is doing. You know what? And there's times to give testimony to God. Absolutely. God is doing some awesome stuff. But I know people who walk around and boast of it. And they're just full of hot air. So it's not arrogant. Verse 5 says it does not act unbecomingly. Some of your translations may not say it's be rude. Love has manners. Interesting concept, don't you think? When a person has a problem, you know, with putting your elbows on the table and it bugs them, love says, if that bugs you, I won't do it. But it seems so silly. I don't matter. If it bugs that person, then don't do it. 
Why? Because that's what love says. Love is, like I said, it is spending itself on others. And if that bothers a person, then don't do it. Then don't do it. And I think the key of it is, is that next one. It does not seek its own. It does not seek its own. It isn't in it for itself. It doesn't do it for itself. It isn't longing for itself. It isn't worried about its own rights. It ain't worried about its own position. It ain't worried about its own um, needs or, or desires. It leaves it alone. Why? It is more concerned about the welfare of other people. Now, in the context of this, you've got to grab a hold of this because he's in chapter 12 and chapter 14. He's dealing with spiritual gifts. And if we're exercising our spiritual gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit, which bears the fruit of love, then the gift will be of a benefit to the body of Christ. When the gift is not a benefit to the body of Christ, it can still be a spiritual gift, but guess what happens? If it does not have love with it, it profits you zero. And you will see its fruit. You know what its fruit is? Come on, you guys did better math than that. Zero times what is what? Zero. You can have the right, at, you can have, oh, I just want to serve Jesus, but I don't want to do it in love. You, you benefit nothing. And you know what? You will see that fruit in the body of Christ. Or should I say, lack of fruit in the body of Christ. It's not seeking its own. It is not provoked. That's the one that gets everybody into trouble. You can't make it angry. You can't make it irritated. Okay, so when you think about it, fruit of the Spirit is what? There's only one fruit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And out of love comes peace, joy, gentleness, love. See how it works? When I see a Christian who's not at peace, I know what they're not doing. When I see a, a, a Christian who's not gentle, I see what they're not doing. It's really easy. It's not... I, God doesn't make this thing complicated for us. He says, you guys can't handle complicated. I'm going to make this very simple. But here's what we do. Let's make it complicated. Okay, and then you see them. Those are them Christians, you see them. they got the things on their forehead, wrinkles. Boy, I'm loving and you're going to love it whether you like it or not. You seen them? I've seen some Christians that I pray that whatever they got isn't contagious. You know which ones I'm talking about? You can see it. Boy, I'm happy you're saved. Mm-mm. Right? Why? Anybody ever get irritated? How many of you have ever gotten, you get up in the morning, it's the new year, January, whatever, and I've started, I'm going to have my quiet time, I'm going to read the Old Testament, I'm going to read a proverb, I'm going to read a, a psalm, I'm going to read a New Testament, and I'm going to commune with Jesus through prayer. And then you get into rush hour traffic. Okay, and you and Jesus just love each other to pieces. It's just the guy in front of you that you don't. Okay, and how long does that last? I had a dear friend of mine. He's in glory right now, Ed, and I had this reading thing that you read. <laughs> Robert Murray McShane came up with it, and uh, I like that guy. Anyway, and you would read. Old Testament, New Testament in the morning. Old Testament, New Testament in the evening. 
And you're basically going to read the whole Bible in a year. And I, Ed says, let's just do this. We're, we're going to do this. All right. So me and him took off, and we had a little chart, and it's, he, I, I highlighted mine out. And he said, that's cool. I'm going to highlight mine out. And he, he highlighted it out. And then, you know, about February comes rolling along, and you realize you're about three weeks behind. That's all right. I'll catch up. I'll just read a lot in one sitting. Okay. And then all of a sudden, June shows up, and you realize that you're going to have to read for about four months. Okay. August shows up. You're so far behind that Robert Murray Machine's getting ready to come out of heaven and say, what were you doing? So what do you do? You quit. And then you got a guy like Ed was in my life, and he would say, what do you mean you quit? How can you quit? I caught up. I remember when I seen you, and I said, Ed, I read every day. And he says, I don't care. You said you were going to read alongside me. If I had any questions, you'd answer them. Well, got any questions? Ask. <laughs> I'll catch up. All right? Are you trying to provoke me? But anyway, um, you can't provoke it. You can't irritate love. Okay? The next one you see on your list there, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Logizmo, or gizomai. Okay? What is it? It's an accounting term. It means that love doesn't keep books on the wrong suffered. It is the same term that speaks of the position of imputation of the righteousness of Christ into a believer's life. When you get saved, there's no record of your sin. And I don't know how that works. I really don't understand that. But at the moment of your salvation, when God looks at the logbook or the ledger for Terry Ball, he see, opens it up and it says, righteous. That's all it says. That's all it says. And that's the same phrase he says here is that love keeps no records. Keeps no records. Now, this is important because he gives you the first three verses. He says, you know what? If you have speaking gifts and you don't have love, you're just noisy. I don't care what your speaking gift is. And then he says, if you have prophecy and you know all mysteries, you have all knowledge. You understand that? I don't understand that. I don't know. All knowledge says I know exactly the number of stars that exist. That would be all knowledge. All mystery says, I know every redeemed soul that has ever been saved and every soul that will ever be saved. I know all the angels by name, holy and lost. That's all mysteries. He says, but you got all that and even faith that you can make mountain ranges move. You could go to like Kansas and bring the Rockies with you. He says, and you do that without love, you are a zero. It is of absolutely no benefit. It says that you can give everything you've got to feed the poor, and you can dole it out personally. You can give it on your own. You can surrender your body to martyrdom. You do not love up, do not have love, you have no profit. You will stand before God and with what He's given you instead of giving Him. Gold, silver, or precious stones, you will hold up a handful of ash. Here you go. I built with wood, hay, and stubble. And when fire came upon it, here's my holy ashtray. Because that's all I got. 
That's all I got. Verse 6. This is the tenth one. Depending on your translation. <clears throat> Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Some of your translations may say iniquity. Okay? When you have that word unrighteousness or iniquity in the New Testament, it is always speaking about sin. Okay? So love does not take joy, does not rejoice in sin. Okay? Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, we all get mad when we see some of this stuff on television or hear about it stuff on the radio. But this thing can be brought about in a whole bunch of ways. Listen, there are people, and we, we you know them, if you work, among lost people um, who rejoice in their sin. They take pleasure in their sin. They brag about sin and what they they are doing or going to do or think they're going to do. Um, and, 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 and they they have it in their mind that they're getting away with it. I'm, I'm getting away with this sin. Okay? And I'm having a blast in it. And I'll tell you about it. All right? Um... They, you'll, you'll see lost people, they'll laugh about it. They'll, they'll tell jokes about their sin. And I mean, and it can be multicolored. Okay, but save people. I have to ask some questions. Do save people brag about their sin? Do, do save people uh, tell jokes about their sin? Or does it cause pain. I mean, sin has consequences. All right? Does sin grieve your heart? Because we know that a Christian, how could they brag about sins? Christians don't brag about sins. Really? Did you read chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians? They were bragging about their sin. They were committing fornication. They were committing incest. And they were proud of it. And they were boasting about it. Because they were free in Christ. They were free in Christ. Who? The church in Corinth. Please understand. Chapter 1 says, to the church in Corinth. It isn't a cult. It isn't a sect. It is the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was bragging about their sins. Which is, is fascinating. Um, I grew up in a time when people in high school had to read books, novels, and silly, crazy stuff like that. And I remember reading Hemingway, you know, Big Ernie. Okay? Um, and everybody told me what a great literary genius this guy was. Let me give you a quote that he gave to a reporter. This is Ernest Hemingway, and I quote, You can sin and get away with it. The old idea of prudishness of sin, Victorian fundamentalist viewpoint, that there are consequences is so much baloney. Hemingway is living proof you can sin and get away with it. Unquote. Okay? Do you know that 10 years to the day of that quote, he took a gun and blew his brains out? 
consequences of the sin. He says you can do it and get away with it. Really. There are consequences to the sin. How can a Christian, understanding that there's consequences to the sin, rejoice in it? Rejoice over sin so long. But people think that it makes them free. People think that it makes them bigger than God. So you have this position on rejoicing in unrighteousness or rejoicing in iniquity. And part of it is downright bragging. There's another way that people rejoice in sin. When they rejoice over someone else's iniquity, someone else's unrighteousness, because they don't do it. I tell people, they ask me, we heard that you had a checkered past and you came from an awful place. Uh, Could you tell me about it? And my comment this day is, I just did everything everybody else wanted to do. They wanted to do it. I just went and did it. Okay? You sat around and thought about it. I exercised it. I don't need to recount it. I do not need to bring it up. But there are those who will rejoice in somebody else's iniquity because I don't do it and that makes me better. I'm a little more holy because I didn't kind of go down that road. When I think about newspapers, I don't get the newspaper, okay? And people say, well, is it because you're conservative and it's liberal or this? No, no, no. It's very simple. Newspapers, their sales, okay, what they sell it for is based on the recounting of iniquity. Read it. You think I'm kidding you? Last time I read it, I said, this is... I mean, you could call it the Denver iniquity or the Rocky Mountain unrighteousness. I mean, that's all it was. I mean, it's page after page after page. I mean, I found myself more interested in the advertisement. And I don't like advertising. But that's all it was. That's all it is. You, you think I'm kidding you? We have magazines. I was in the Safeway the other day. Um, and I look at the rack of magazines and it wants to tell me about what all these people are doing. How they're treating their kids or not treating their kids. Who they broke up with. Who they're not broke up with. Who they're sleeping with. Who they should be sleeping with. What they're doing with this. Who's pregnant. Who's not pregnant. Who should be pregnant. And I just, I just go through and go, well, that's pleasant. And I just look at that and there's a whole industry that's on there. And you don't think so? Channel 9 News, I watch it till 6.30. Do you know what comes on at 6.30? Watch it. It's hilarious. They call it Entertainment Tonight. Have you ever listened to it? What is so entertaining about this? I don't understand this. I mean, I watch a part of it and say, Are their parents still alive? Because if I was a parent of one of these little girls, this would all be fixed. I'd have no problem with this. It'd all be done. Why? (laughs) Well, no, but my mom goes with me. What? 
I don't understand that. Why? That's what it is. And if you go and watch it, how many times do you see television is nothing but the repeating of what? Unrighteousness. Iniquity. And we call it entertainment. Entertainment? Christians like to convince themselves that they're really holy because I don't do that. I don't do that. Because, see, it's nice when I turn that on or I read about it and somebody does it, it gives me a standard to compare myself with. I'm not that bad. (laughs) Listen, I've seen this in other ways. As a pastor, um, two people get a divorce. Okay, in the church. I know. What? No, they do. They get a divorce. And then they realize they have no biblical grounds for the divorce. None whatsoever. And so now they're stuck. I either have to marry that guy again or I have to marry that girl again or I have to stay single. And oh man, I don't want to stay single. So you know what starts happening? They want the other one to commit adultery so that they can get married. I've dealt with that five times. They literally start wishing a saint of God commits a sin so they can go do what they want to do. That's strange. Praying for another person to sin? Hmm. Wishing someone to sin, being glad when someone to sin. Why? So it makes me look better. Why? I found this nice guy. I want to marry this nice guy. But I have an unbiblical divorce, so I pray that my ex-husband commits adultery. I literally had a lady tell me that one time. I fell over. I was like, well, you know, she says, what do you think? I said, at least you're honest. At least you're honest. Another thing that you'll see is that people will call what I call uh, I've been doing it a while and God never did anything. So is it really that big a deal? The Bible says God's wills grind slow but they grind small. And I've seen that happen. Many times, many, many, many times. Here's one of the things that I want you to think about. You cannot rejoice in righteousness and understand love. You can't. You cannot rejoice in iniquity and evil. Now listen, how many times have you sat around and heard that joke? What do they call it? The off-colored joke. And what is your response to it? I was at the barbershop the other day. I know some of you say, well, you should go back. Um, <laughs> did, did you pay for that? <laughs> I asked a kid that yesterday. Did you pay for that haircut? Or did they just do it to you? Um, anyway, and there was a group there telling dirty jokes. And you know what I found myself? I was upset at my stomach. It was nauseous. Okay, and I, I'm not that way. 
I mean, I don't mind a good yuck, yuck, but these were nasty jokes. They were filthy, and everybody was just having a wah good time. And I was just sitting there. They're cutting on my hair. And I was afraid to laugh because we're cutting my hair funny. But, you know, and then, you know, they're all sitting around telling these jokes. And the lady held the mirror up. She says, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. You talk about the wind going out of a room. The joke's not funny now, is it? Huh. See ya. It's just kind of weird the way it is. In the Psalm chapter 69, verse 9, For the zeal of your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Listen, when there is unrighteousness, when there is iniquity, do you understand they are a front to your God, to my God? The sins are against them. Now then, I want you to just take a real quick snapshot. Look at your society. Look at the society you're in, your workplace, your co-workers. Um, maybe you have some loved ones. Do What do they do for entertainment? What our society tolerates. And we go along with it. We just smile. Oh, that's a cool joke. I'll forward that one to somebody. A Christian who rejoices in that or tolerates that doesn't understand what it means to love God. They have, they're clueless. Do you understand that he died for sin? I don't want to put plural on it. Sin. The whole animal. The whole animal. He doesn't say, well, if you tell a little white lie or if you commit adultery, that's not as bad as homosexuality. He died for sin. Period. You and I are the ones that, well, there's degrees of sin. No, it's sin. It nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. If I understand that, how can I rejoice in it? Well, you know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that you would crucify Him again? That psalm there that Paul, uh, that uh, David wrote was because he was thinking of his own sin. And it is a front to God. It becomes offensive to the holiness and the purity of God. And if you really love God, you should be cold to the evil and you should be upset to the evil. There should be no place in your life for it. If you truly love. How can you rejoice when you know the consequences? How can I rejoice? I mean, even when I look at lost people, I look at lost people and I say, you know what? What do you expect? But I can't rejoice with them. Why? I know the consequences of it. Dirty jokes. I, I look about dirty jokes, filthy jokes, as nails in the coffins of the condemned. You're going to sit there and make fun of this. Why, you will weep and gnash for eternity as you get your little chuckles. Those dirty jokes show you the hopelessness of humanity. If God doesn't come into their life, they don't meet Jesus Christ. 
They are nothing but damned souls. How can I laugh at that? It's their sin. They're making jokes and enjoying their sin. How can I be funny? Hee <laughs> There's no way for a Christian to rejoice in sin. You can't do it when they're telling the jokes, but they're lost. You can't do it thinking that you're getting away with it. You can't rejoice in that. Let me show you a text. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 is one of the most beautiful texts that I have ever read. Uh, this is awesome. Uh, if anybody ever um, wanted to pray for me, uh, I would ask that you would pray for me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. I mean, see, I don't like big wordy prayers. This is a good one. This is a non-wordy prayer. It says it's very simple. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. <laughs> I like that. Direct me into the love of God. What a place to be. What a thing to be characterized by. The love of God. I want to be characterized by the love of God. Okay, look at verse 6. That is how the character of God looks. You want me to read it out loud or you want to just read it to yourself and act like you didn't read it? Read it out loud, they say. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother. You understand the phrase there. Who's he talking about? Saint who leads an unruly life, not according to the traditions which you receive from us. You know what unruly means? Out of line. Admonish the unruly. Explain to the unruly. Listen, unruly. Every time we march forward, you go backwards. Every time we march left, you go right. Every time we go right, you go left. Here's the consequences of that. What are the consequences? You will no longer have fellowship with the safety of the saints. That's the consequences of that. What? You will no longer... Have fellowship with the safety of the saints. You'll have to hang out with the lost people, with the worldly people, with the people who are telling the dirty jokes, with the people who are driving the nails of their condemnation in as they rejoice in iniquity. That's what you will do. I will give you over that Satan will teach you. Teach your flesh. Okay, now now remember the context. What is the context? May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and steadfastness of Christ. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you keep away from every brother who leads these unruly lives. Stay away from them. Huh. I don't sound loving. Sure it does. Look at verse 14. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. <laughs> Interesting phrase. And do not associate with him so that he will be what? Put to shame. You know what I call that? It's love in action. May your heart be directed into God. Why? And you'll confront this stuff. Why? How can I rejoice with you in that iniquity? It is letting the Christ of letting the love of Christ to come into your life. What will bug you? 
sin, first and foremost. Love goes to the sinner and says, ain't right. Whether it is a lost person or a saved person. I, I had a discussion the other day about um, homosexuality. Well, you're one of them guys who are against homosexuality. I said, no, not really. I said, well, I thought you were a minister. I said, I am. And you're not against homosexuality? I said, no, but the Bible is. Okay, and they said, well, that's just a bunch of old people who wrote old book a long time ago. I said, let me tell you something. Homosexuality can't work. He said, what? I said, it can't work. You can't have two men or two women coming together and keep the species alive. It won't work. So I don't care what you call it. Take religion out of it. It's silly. It don't work. You will call this the demise of the species. I'm thinking that's probably not a good plan, but I've read the end of the Bible. He already has that plan. Do you understand that? See, I don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a theologian. I can look at stuff. It's like legislating morality. You can't legislate morality. Let me ask you a question. Is murder immoral? What about stealing? Think stealing is immoral? Then don't tell me we can't legislate immorality. Because we're trying to legislate it. We're trying to make it. Let's just all have, you know, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. You know, I've read that somewhere. I don't remember where it was. Okay. I want to give you a footnote to this, and I'm going to close it because I, I think I've gotten my point across. All right, and then, you know, everybody's going to say, well, Terry, what do I rejoice in next Sunday? Okay, it would be truth. Okay, you can read it, and I'll have a message. Don't you worry. But I'll give you a footnote on this. This is something that I've, I've noticed in uh, my years of walking with the king. Love does not rejoice in evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. What is gossip? Ask yourself a question. Is gossip the recounting of an evil? Just a question. When I read the paper... And I see the report of the evil all over the place, all around me. Do I run out and recount it? I read this text out of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. And I take the text out of James chapter 3. You can go look at it yourself. And I think that this is one of the straight to the point indictments against gossip. Because gossiping is what? It's a recounting of evil. If love rejoices not, okay, in iniquity, it has no joy in iniquity. If it doesn't, it isn't happy to hear it then, is it? If it's not happy to hear it, it will not be happy to pass it on. Right? So if I'm not going to be happy about the evil, that means I'm not going to be happy to hear about the evil. I'm definitely not going to be happy to pass on the evil. And then you'll have the little person come up and say, well, it's true. Listen, love isn't looking to parade everyone's evil. 
Love doesn't even like to laugh at evil. I believe, and I read someplace, and I can't remember exactly where it was, but it says love covers. It doesn't expose. You ever thought about that? I wonder where that verse is. Think that's in the Bible someplace? I'll let you find it. You don't have to look far. Love covers. Love wants to take it, hide it, and protect it. It doesn't parade it. And yet, when we gossip, what are we trying to do? Here's what Spiros Zodiades described gossip. His definition of gossip. I thought this was pretty good. This is a quote. Gossip is vice enjoyed vicariously. Now, I went and looked up vicariously, but you guys may know what it means. Okay? Gossip is vice enjoyed vicariously. And you know what? After I figure out what vicariously meant, he's right. He's right. See, love doesn't enjoy sin. Love doesn't enjoy iniquity. Love doesn't enjoy unrighteousness. Love hates sin. What did he say? <laughs> what? Love hates sin. I'll let you ponder that. It's sort of bipolar or something there, isn't it? Love hates the way it hurts God. Love hates the way that it hurts the sinner. Whether the sinner is someone who is lost or a saint who gets trapped. See, love understands that it offends God. Love understands that it breaks His heart. Love understands and, and does never likes to hear it, let alone pass it on. Love keeps its mouth shut. But don't get me wrong. Love will confront it. Love will confront it. I showed you that, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. You'll confront it. But I don't have to pass it on. I don't have to get out and say, hey, I'm going to go confront somebody in their sin. They're doing this, 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 and this, and they live here, and this is their phone number, and pray for me. No. And you know what? We've had to do it here in this church. We only had to do it once. Okay? And now what I've learned is, is when I confront the sin, they just leave. <laughs> There's 53 churches in Castle Rock. There's somewhere they can go. Do you understand that? You can't rejoice in evil, people. If I have a true love for God, how can I rejoice in it? Whether it is bragging, whether it's telling jokes about it, whether it is wishing it on people, how can I wish that? Sin has consequences. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, I thank You that uh, You have, through the power of Your Spirit, poured Your love into our hearts. Yeah, Father, we, uh, we struggle. We struggle, Lord. Uh, and yet, you tell us that in our weakness, you are strong. Father, I, I, I understand you as the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I draw to your throne now and beg for mercy and beg for grace. 
And Father, as, as, as I've seen Paul asking for the Thessalonians believers, I ask for this church, for this body of people. We're drawn to the love that you have. And that becomes our hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us to love. Father, help us to love first the unlovable. Then, Father, help us love one another. That we are willing to spend that love to its exhaustion. And those you'd bring to our lives. But, Father, we have not the strength for this. So I beg you, my King, beginning with me, help me to love these precious souls as much as my Savior, our Savior, did on that cross. Father, every soul that you grace our lives with, may we be consumed by your love and consume them in that love. Help us, in Christ's name. Amen.